be sure and after service see Jerry Searcy at the information center he can answer your questions about that it is a rotating basis it's not to be up there every service but it is definitely a tremendous help uh, to all of us as we strive to worship God together to be able to have a sound system and powerpoints and then to be able to record there's just so much good that comes out of the work that is done there I tell the guys that, that work in the area of our recording and duplicating those that they preach a lot more sermons a week than what I do uh, I only preach three or four times a week but but they preach literally 50 60 100 times a week because uh, they're able to take the gospel and send it out across America and, and then even around the world with the internet. And so it really is amazing how much good is done from that work. If you're looking for a place to make a difference uh, in, in the lives of, of individuals, not just our congregation inside these walls, but around the world, that's a tremendous ministry. And if you're looking for a place to get involved, be involved in that ministry. I know that sometimes things seem kind of new to us that maybe in reality they're not really new at all, but at least they might go in cycles. And right now, over the last few years, we have seen any time you watch any kind of religious programming, especially on TV, you find those individuals that, that preach what they sometimes call themselves, but definitely they have been labeled as the name it and claim it doctrine. In other words, if you just bring to God what you want, you can name to God what you want, and then in faith you can claim it and God will give it to you. And if you don't have enough faith to name it and you don't have enough faith to claim it, something's wrong with your faith. Friends, do you realize that the idea of us naming and claiming and God has to answer to us makes us sovereign and God is our servant? We are the one in charge, and God, in that doctrine, beckons to our command. You know, when we look in the Scriptures, we don't find anything that approaches the Father in prayer as the name-it-claim-it doctrine claims today. And tonight, it's humbling to study how the Lord taught us to pray and I would like for us to spend most of our time tonight just by looking at the first two verses of this very short prayer that is a very beautiful and powerful prayer. We're in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, the sixth chapter. And notice as we begin in verse nine, Matthew, the sixth chapter in verse nine, he says, in this manner, therefore, pray our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's easy in our society where... It's easy in our society to become self-centered. Number one, that's somewhat our human nature, is to put number one first. Sometimes we're raised in families that raise children believing that their children are the most important. And if we raise children believing that they are the most important thing on earth, the result of that is self-centered adults. Any of you that are educators, your principals, you deal with those parents. Those parents where it doesn't matter what the child does, it's always the teacher or the principal that's wrong because after all, 
our child doesn't make a mistake. We see that same thing, at least leaning towards that, in the way retail feels like that it has to do business today. How many of you in retail have been told that the customer is always right? Where does that kind of thought come from? Let me ask you this, where does that kind of theology come from? You see, that philosophy in retail business comes from the idea of we live in a society that's self-centered. No one wants to admit that they're wrong. Everyone wants to be placed first. The very definition today of tolerance is wrapped around the core of self-centeredness. I want to be who I want to be, and I don't want anybody to tell me that who I am is wrong. I want everyone to esteem and, and to reaffirm who I am is a very good thing. Now, I'm not saying that those things I have described describes anyone here. I'm really not. But have you and I been influenced, at least to some degree, by that society? Probably so. Now, with that in mind, let me ask you that. Has that influenced your prayers? How tempting is it for you and I to go into prayer with that self-centered, name it and claim it, God has to love me just like I am approach. Lord, let me give you the list of the things that I want. We have talked about that to some degree over the last few weeks. So tonight, I want to especially give a solution to that. You know the solution to that is offered in these first two verses? If we can get our attitude right, and, and I'm not just talking about an attitude while we're in prayer. I'm talking about an attitude for life. If we can get our attitude right, as we see described here, when our Jesus says, in this manner pray, and He says, Our Father in heaven. The first thing that, God, that Jesus recognizes in this prayer is that God the Father is just that, paternity. He is our Father. Now, I know that you and I have probably heard prayers prayed of our Father which art in heaven so many times that it might be easy for us to take that for granted. He is our Father. But I want you to think for just a moment before Jesus Christ came to this earth. You see, it's, it is easier for us to accept it. It doesn't make it, it doesn't cheapen it at all. I just want to throw this out for you to, to think about, to maybe draw a greater awareness and appreciation. When Jesus came to this earth, of course, he prayed to his Father. And then we're told, like in the book of Romans, that God wants to adopt us into his family. So now that makes us his children. And then we learn that we are brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. Here's our elder brother. And so now throughout the New Testament, we have a real clear understanding that God wants us to be family. Do you realize, though, before the New Testament, that was not nearly as clear at least it wasn't spoken of nearly as often. Think how much thicker the Old Testament is than the New Testament. But yet in the Old Testament, we only have 14 times that is referenced our Father. Whereas when we come over to the New Testament, over 70 references to our Father. Be turning, if you will, to the book of Isaiah. I'd like for us to look at an example of it out of Isaiah and then a teaching about it back in the Sermon on the Mount. And Isaiah, if, if you'll be turning to the 64th chapter, Isaiah the 64th chapter, and on the, the Bible that's in your pew, I believe that'll be 662. It'll be very close to that. And, and we're looking at Isaiah the 64th chapter. 
As we're thinking about prayer tonight and about to read uh, these words of Isaiah, any of us that, that were together Wednesday night in this room after our Bible classes, one of the things that, that was one of the greatest blessings of that night was being led in prayer by Langley Sikorsky. And I heard several of you talking about that afterward. It, it was truly a tremendous blessing. Uh, David Burka mentioned this week in his bulletin article that to hear godly men pray, you get to see a bit of their heart. And I think all of us saw a bit of his heart. And, 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 it, and another tremendous blessing of being able to be led in prayer by others is, you know, there's things that I simply don't think about praying about or praying for. And is it a blessing to be led in prayer publicly so that when someone prays, we think, wow, I should have been praying about that. I'm so thankful that now... He's leading us in prayer, and now we are praying about that. One of the things that Langley prayed about was literally this passage in Isaiah, the 64th chapter, one of the few passages in the Old Testament that talks about our Father. Look at Isaiah 64, beginning at verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. Don't take that for granted. Appreciate that. You are our Father. We are the clay and you, our potter, for all we are, the work of your hands. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look. Now notice this phrase. Please look. We all are your people. It's wonderful to think about the Almighty as our king, our monarch. It's wonderful to think of him as our judge because he's going to be just and gracious. It's wonderful for, for us to think about him as our creator. But think about all the ways that God would describe himself. One of the ways is he says, I want you to see me as your father. As parents, what do you want? As parents, you have that child and, and even though we can't live their lives, we want so desperately to mold them into the man and the woman that they should become. What does the heavenly father want? Isaiah goes to the very core of that desire and he says, Lord, we know that you are our father and we're willing as children of yours to place ourselves as clay in your hands. And we want you to work with us and we want you to mold us. And then he closes that out. There's a problem working with us. Lord, we're flawed. We're sinful. And so as you forgive us, God, will, will you not remember our iniquities anymore? And remember, Lord, we want to be your special people. That's a significant phrase in the scriptures. It's the identity of, and, and ownership involved in that. In other words, here we are in the world. And we say, I, I'm lost in the world. And I don't have direction in the world. I, I, I need identity. An individual says, I want to be saved. I want to become a child of God. What do we do? We step out of the world and now we are set apart from the world. Well, now are we in no man's land? No, now who are we? We are his special people. Now this is really a feeble illustration for this, but could I illustrate it in this way? Any of you that enjoy going to, to flea markets and to garage sales, I want you to think back to the times where, where you're looking around and, and there are these things that you want and you're, you're shopping and you look over at this one little corner and you're like, oh, I would really like to have that and that and that. And then you notice on that pile of things that have been separated, there's a little sign that says, sold to 
John Doe will come back and pick up soon. I said, hmm, I can't buy those things anymore. You see, at one time, those things were part of this sale. Now they have been purchased and they've been set aside to be picked up later. Friends, do you realize we're not a part of this world anymore? We've been purchased. We've been set aside. And the Lord's going to come back and pick us up later. But the thing is, we don't have to stay over here. And we don't have to stay over here. At any time, we can decide where we want to move, if you will. And so here, Isaiah writes and he says, Lord, we want you to be our Father. We want to be set apart. We want to be your special people. We want to be people that have been purchased by you and have been set apart from the world. It's hard for me to have the attitude of paternity to really mean it when I say, O oh, Father, which art in heaven, if in fact I haven't been living a life that is sanctified. You see, the right prayer comes from the right life. Notice a, another teaching on this. And as you know, we could spend all night just studying about this aspect of fatherhood. But let's look at one more and then we'll move on. Look with me at Matthew, the seventh chapter. We'll go back to the Sermon on the Mount and we'll see a New Testament example of the teaching of fatherhood. That'll be on 854 in the Bible that's in your pew, 854. And look at Matthew, the seventh chapter. We're going to pick up in verse seven and we're going to read two verses of teaching. And then we're going to see the illustration of fatherhood. And, and in verse seven and eight, we oftentimes sing very similar verses of this in Matthew, the seventh chapter in verse seven and eight, where he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks find. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now here's the illustration. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Does the Lord want us to ask? Does He want us to seek? Does He want us to knock? Absolutely. But under what framework, under what guidance does he want us to do it? He says, I want you to do this recognizing the whole time that you're praying to your father who wants what is best for you. And the rule of thumb, I realize that in a crowd this size that the words father is not positive to everybody here. A crowd this size, some would have had fathers that were negligent, fathers that were abusive. But when we back up and look at the term father as God has designed it, where a man looks at his very own flesh and blood and says, I want to nurture this, this child. I want to grow this child in a healthy fashion. I love this child so much I would give my life for this child. You see, it's in that setting that we quickly understand if a man can love his child and provide for his child, think how much greater the heavenly father can love and provide for his children. And so when we pray, 
we must pray seeing the paternity of the heavenly father. But going back just a page in your Bible to Matthew, the sixth chapter, look again at verse nine. Not only did he say our father in heaven, but then he said, how would be your name? Now, what is your name? It's not just just letters that you write down and you say, his name is God, G-O-D, or his name is Jehovah, and you write that down. You know, it's not just a list of names of God. Name involves God's person, God's character, God's reputation. It involves God's nature, God's attributes. In other words, everything about God as a person, if you will, as a being, Everything about God is His name. In other words, what's your name? It's everything that you are is a description. Your name is a description of all that you are. That's why we get the idea of your name being your reputation. It's all that we are. Now think about this. Jesus says, I want to teach you how to pray. Pray in this manner. Our Father, see Him as a paternal being there. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, everything about you, God, we hallow it. The idea of setting God aside. Isn't that interesting? We set our, or God sets us aside out of the world, but we set God aside. But when we set God aside, in other words, we say, God is not just common everyday things. God is much more than that. Not only do we set him aside, but then we esteem him. We lift him up. The root word that we get hallowed is also the root word that we get glorify, to lift up, to praise. Your being, all that you are, your name, we lift that name up, God. And it's not just verbalizing it in a prayer, although God wants us to do that. It's how we live our lives. We hallow the name of God, the being of God in everything we do every day. Most of us surely would say, I, I don't really enjoy being around hypocrites. Think how hypocritical it is for someone throughout the day to murmur the name of God in vain. So in other words, as a person, who are you? I'm someone who does not hallow the name of God. Instead, I mock the name of God. When I mash my finger, I use God's name to bring him down to something painful. When I want to laugh at someone, I just say the name Jesus Christ because it's funny. It's a joke. And then someone says, I just have such a hard time believing my prayers are heard. I have a hard time praying as I should pray. No joke. You ought to have a hard time. Think how hypocritical it is to say, I live my life making a mockery of God, but then some way I want to be able to go into a prayer closet and I want to be able to hallow the name of God. Friends, prayer is not just some kind of little activity that is isolated from real life and we check it off each day. Have you said your prayers today? Oh yes, I've said my prayer. No, prayer is a part of a Christian's life. 
And when a Christian lives their life with God being their father, they pray to that father. When a Christian lives their life hallowing the name of God in everything they do, they go to prayer and hallow the name of God. I want to beg you tonight. And, and what's interesting is generational. You older ones, why do you use the name Lordy? Why? Why do the younger ones use the name God? Why does the middle age say Jesus Christ when you don't mean anything good about God in that? Every generation struggles to keep God hallowed in their life and in their prayers. And friends, this one can't fall under bad habits. You don't mistakenly Take God out as the priority and the preeminent one in your life and bring Him down below common. That's intentional. Prayer. Prayer is to keep God as the paternal one. It's to keep God in priority. He is the one that everything about him is lifted up. But then finally notice tonight, we see another couple of phrases there that we see power. Notice he says in 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Jesus is praying this, of course, before the church was established. And so we know from Matthew, the 16th chapter, I'd like to link together in your mind, if you will, three passages. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse 18, he talked in a prophetic sense that the church was going to be established and he told Peter that he was going to give him the keys to the kingdom. We go to Acts, the second chapter. We see the church being established on that day by Peter preaching the first gospel sermon. So on that day, Peter was given the keys to invite everyone, that whosoever will, everyone that wanted to come to the Lord, that they could become a part of the kingdom. And then Acts, the 20th chapter in verse 28, Paul is speaking to the elders, and he reminds those elders of Ephesus that the church that they shepherd has been purchased by His blood. The kingdom and the church, those terms are oftentimes used interchangeably. That kingdom came. He prayed, Lord, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is, is the Lord's will done on, in heaven? Absolutely. If Satan rebels, what does he do? He casts out the angels that rebels. Why? His will is going to be done in heaven. And now Jesus, knowing that praise, I want your will to be done on earth just like it's done in heaven. I want the church to be established. I want the kingdom to come. Now pause there for just a moment. Jesus, what's it going to cost you for this kingdom to come? You know what we've studied this morning? I'm going to have to go through the torture of crucifixion but I'm still going to pray, thy kingdom come. Do you see that power? Where Jesus literally prays, Lord, I know what it's going to cost, but still, 
your kingdom is the priority in my life and your will being done is the power that moves me through life. And so, Lord, I want, and, and this, remember, we've been studying a lot and lately we haven't had time to do it. But, you know, this calendar year, we've studied so much through the book of Acts. And there's twin themes in the book of Acts. And it's Christ. And right now, let's say that represents Christ and the Godhead. And the second theme is the kingdom. And notice what's being prayed about here. What's being prayed about is the Father, the Godhead, and the kingdom that is to come. And friends, any time we have our emphasis and we have our focus in life on God and His kingdom, we're doing something right. And so now in this prayer, Jesus knows the cost of the kingdom coming and he says, I want it to come. I want your will to be done. Remember in the Garden of, e Garden of Gethsemane and remember that night, he knew the very next day what it was going to cost him. But remember, he continued to pray, thy will be done. Not my will, thy will be done. And so the kingdom, the benefit and the blessing of the kingdom was what guided his prayer. Do you remember here in this very same opening, Matthew the 6th chapter and verse 33? He's talked from back in verse, at least back to 19, about the tough times financially, where you wonder if you're going to have clothing, and food. And what should the prayer be? Uh, keep in mind, I'm not suggesting that, that God does not want us to ask for those things. But I'm talking about the attitude and the priority that prevails. What's the answer to that? Notice verse 33. In that context, in 33, he says, but, in other words, I've talked about all these financial concerns that have become worries in your life. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. Now isn't it interesting that once Jesus in this prayer identifies the paternal nature of the Father, He identifies the priority of the Father. How would be your name? He identifies the, the priority and the power of I just want your kingdom to come and I want your will to be done in heaven and on earth and my life. Do you notice what comes next? And, and we're not going to develop these. This is the close, but listen to this. What comes next is the petitions. Under that umbrella, God, can you provide us our food, please? Under that umbrella, God, will you cleanse us, forgive us of our debts? Under that umbrella, God, can you make sure and protect us from the evil one? In other words, I want to challenge all of us tonight. Say a prayer tonight. And make sure that everything we ask in that prayer is because the end of this, we want the power and the glory of God forever. In other words, anything that I ask must be subordinate to glorifying God. Anything that I ask about my life and my possessions and my health and, and whatever it is, it must be in harmony to bring glory to God. It must supply a support, if you will. It must be the very cause that's going to esteem God even greater.
And you know what? That ought to not be that hard if we get that first part right. And so tonight we're about to sing a song of invitation. What a blessing it's been this month to put a concentration on prayer and on thanksgiving and, and gratitude. None of us have arrived. All of us have room to grow. And let's give some careful consideration to our life and to our prayers. And let's make sure that we have God as our Father. The priorities and the power is right in our life. And if it's not right tonight, there's not anybody here, I don't think, that would look twice or point a finger at anybody that came forward and said, I want to be closer to God. I want to be right with God. And one of the greatest blessings God gives us is the opportunity to pray for each other. If you are a child of God and you want the prayers of the church, maybe you aren't a child of God and tonight you want to be able to pray our Father who art in heaven. Wouldn't that be wonderful? To be able to put your head on the pillow tonight and be able to pray to your Father who is in heaven. He'll adopt you. He'll adopt you tonight as a believer willing to repent and confess before men and be immersed into Christ. Let's leave here loving and appreciating the opportunity to pray. If we can help you with that in any way, comes we stand as we sing. song and then one of our elders brother pat hackney will come up and have an announcement that uh, he would like to make 
Um, as we sing this song, if you did not have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, if you would please exit the rear of the auditorium, you will be served uh, at the appropriate time. And also, if our young soldiers would go ahead and pick up the cards uh, while we sing this song. We thank you very much for being here. Hope you have a good week. And come back and see us uh, Wednesday night. many of you know, one of our members is going to be leaving us after the night. She's moving to Florida, and she's moving to live with her sister down in Sarasota, Florida. Sarah Cheney's been attending here for a long, long time. She raised her children here, and uh, I think before we are dismissed in prayer tonight that we want to present her with a little gift going away. And Sarah, would you come up here, please, and stand beside me? We've written a little inscription in this, Sarah, and I want to read it to you. We wish for you a happy relocation to Florida. We're truly going to miss you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You've always been a faithful member here, the Lord's Church at Mount Juliet, and we pray that you'll always remain faithful from your brothers and sisters in Christ with all our love. We wish you well, Sarah, and we want you to have this Bible to take with you. God bless you. And now let's, let's all stand and let's have a closing prayer. Our dear God and Heavenly Father, and we are so honored to call you our Father. Heavenly Father, you tell us that the world will know us by the way we love each other. And we do love Sarah Cheney, and we're going to miss her. And we do wish her well as she leaves and goes to Florida and pray that you'll protect her and keep her safe and and bless her, and may she become a strong influence in the church down there as well as she's been here. 
Help us all, Heavenly Father, to grow in our love to Thee and our love for each other and to be more like Christ. We're so thankful that He died on that old cruel cross that through the shedding of His blood we are now saved and we know we're going to heaven as long as we stay faithful and help us to do that, help us defeat the evil one. We pray that you dismiss us now with your love and help us to come back again to worship thee at our next appointed time. We ask this in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. We're dismissed. I didn't know you were going to do that. I didn't want you to know. <laughs> I didn't want you to know.